The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gam Podcast are presented by Circa Sports. Circa Sports is back with their Circa Survivor and Circa Millions contests. $14 million up for grabs. Get all the details at circasports.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Game Podcast Network. It is currently Monday night, July 17th, and I'm your host, as always, Scott Rochelle, once again going solo for this pod. Should be a fun one and a bit of a long one because we do have a lot of content to go through. Three tournaments to preview. We have two tournaments on clay, as bizarre as that might sound, in Bustad and Gustad. And then we also have one grass event to preview in Newport. So I'm looking forward to it. Newport might be my favorite tournament uh, throughout the entire year with the exception of the Grand Slams, of course. But I'm looking forward to that one in particular. But, of course, anytime you have some clay events on the ATP Tour and they're 250s, that means you tend to see a lot of uncertainty because a lot of the superstar talent is not there. I can say that for one of these tournaments. As for the other one, you do have Rude and Rublev and a couple other high-profile guys. But no Alcaraz, no Djokovic, uh, no Medvedev, for example. Medvedev, after... What happened in the French, I'm not surprised, is taking off of clay for the rest of the year. But with it being a 250, you might see a lot of uncertainty, and that should be a lot of fun for us, because maybe that means one outright could end up cashing via long shot, and hopefully we are on the right side of that. But anyway, before we get into any of the actual previews for those three tournaments, we got to recap what happened in the final in Wimbledon on the men's side on a Sunday. Starting off with the betting picks, we ended up splitting. We won with the lock. We had Alcaraz over two and a half breaks of serve, and that ended up getting there relatively easily. It didn't start off that well, as Alcaraz had a couple breakpoint chances early on in the first set. Lost the first set 6-1, and at that point, you thought, okay, maybe Alcaraz is going to get buried in this one. And then he ended up winning the second set in a tiebreak, and then the breaks really opened up in the third set there for us. Went five, though, in general. So Alcaraz flew over that number of two and a half. Really was correlated with the fact that Djokovic, I didn't think, was going to serve that well because of the wind and the fact that we thought there'd be a lot of service games for Djokovic because of the likelihood of seeing a marathon match. And all that came true. Alcaraz went over in the breaks. Unfortunately, though, we kind of doubled down on the marathon angle as we had Djokovic to win the match and each player to win a set at plus 130 as the dog. And it looks pretty good. Not going to lie. Djokovic went down two sets to one, then ended up rallying to win the fourth set. And then he had a breakpoint chance early in the uh, fifth set at 30-40. And that was the disastrous overhead, which turned into a... Uh, I don't even want, I don't even know what to call that. An awkward forehand, I guess we'll call it, which Djokovic hit into the net. But he had a breakpoint chance, did not get it. Then Alcaraz broke back right after that. Djokovic did threaten a couple of times with either love 30s or like 15 30s or love 15s. But Alcaraz did hold his nerve and he was able to eventually win the fifth set. So ended up losing the dog. I got no issues with, once again, the dog that I picked out. We were very close to cashing that. But unfortunately, Djokovic just could not break. And then Alcaraz got the boomerang break. So hell of a match, which I'll go through the details right after. But for the sake of the actual recap, decent final for us. We did win some of the props that we talked about. Match to go five sets was around plus 200. The over and breaks in general got there. The double fault for Djokovic ended up actually going over uh, because Djokovic had a couple of really bad serves there midway through. I believe it was either the second or the third set but ended up cashing most of the props that we had, which was nice. But either way, the over got there in games, for example. So solid episode in general. Could have been better if Djokovic pulled it out. 
But congrats to Alcaraz for being the Wimbledon champion. And now to actually go through the overall takeaways from this match. A lot of the takeaways are going to be grand scheme things because the match was pretty even and Alcaraz won a coin flip. So I'm not going to fully say suddenly Djokovic's reign is over and you have a brand new uh, king in tennis, and I'm not going to make that case. It was a close match. Alcaraz won. I'm not going to suddenly look at Djokovic as a has-been because he lost a heartbreaker. It happens. Alcaraz was able to overcome some adversity, and he was able to win the match. It means that he's fully, fully legit. And you might be wondering, well, we knew that already because he was number one in the world at such a young age, and he already had a Grand Slam title. I have to remind everybody that the Grand Slam title that he had was the U.S. Open, where Djokovic was not actually participating. So even though Alcaraz was a Grand Slam champion by title, it is a little bit of an asterisk when the best player in the world, really the only player that can really give Alcaraz a run for his money and vice versa, ends up not being in the event. Alcaraz did, I don't want to say run unopposed because he had a couple of marathon matches in there against Sinner and against Tiafo, but still, the point is with Djokovic not being there in the U.S. Open, I did have some questions if Alcaraz can fully handle the pressures of winning a Grand Slam title with the possibility of facing off against Djokovic in a three to five set match. And we saw in the French Open, for example, he was not mentally ready for that task, but he definitely was for Wimbledon. And he got the job done there. So first things first, Djokovic is not going anywhere. I'm not suddenly going to tell you this is Alcaraz's tour now and everyone else is just there to be second place. That's not what I'm saying. Djokovic is still going to be the favorite at the U.S. Open. I don't exactly expect that to change. Am I picking him to win the U.S. Open? We'll cross that bridge when we cross that bridge. But the point is, Djokovic is still the best player in the world as far as I'm concerned. And I do think that when you're looking at how the future matchups will play out. Of course, Alcaraz has the advantage long-term because Djokovic isn't getting any younger, but I do think when you're looking at how these players are going to handle the rest of the tour, it is Alcaraz and Djokovic kind of neck and neck and then everybody else because it is not even close. The sad part is when Djokovic actually does retire or when Djokovic is past his prime and is no longer seriously competing for championships, Alcaraz is going to be running on a post. It might be Federer level of domination before Nadal showed up, where Federer was coasting against the likes of Roddick and in like Leighton Hewitt and people that he would just dominate time in, time out. There's really nobody from the next gen or the future gen that can hold the candle to Alcaraz right now. Sinner's had some good matches against Alcaraz, but that's basically it. I mean, you're looking at Medvedev. We know that Alcaraz is going to kill him pretty much every time because it's just a bad matchup for Medvedev. Rune hasn't really proven anything up to this point. I don't believe Rune's ever made a Grand Slam semi. I'm trying to think if he has. I don't think he has. But you can really just go down the line, and besides Djokovic, Alcaraz can really beat the crap out of everybody, and that's going to be a serious problem for tennis potentially moving forward unless you see somebody either step up or you have another teen phenom, which could result in a great rivalry in the future. But Djokovic is hanging in there, and I don't expect him to go anywhere for the next year or so. So we'll see what happens, but Alcaraz and Djokovic should be running this tour for the next year. So that's kind of just the brief grand scheme thing I wanted to talk about for the sake of the actual tour. As for the match itself, Djokovic had chances... Alcaraz had chances, bunch of break points for both guys, and you had the insanely long game in the match, which took about 27 minutes for one game, which I don't think I've ever seen before. I've seen a couple 20-minute games, 
I believe Djokovic had a 20-minute game in Tel Aviv, but for the sake of Grand Slam tennis, that might have been the greatest game ever played, and it was actually the game that we won officially our lock on because that was the game Alcaraz got his third break of the match. But that match, once again, that game took 27 minutes, which just tells you how insane the quality was on the court. And you did end up seeing a really, really fun, entertaining matchup. And it was even a little bit more surprising because of how one-sided the first set was, where Djokovic won 6-1. You thought, okay, it's probably going to be a bloodbath. And then Alcaraz responded very well, and he, of course, won the match in the end. But for the sake of the matchup in term of what the actual pros and cons were for each player. Alcaraz finally started hitting some drop shots late in the match, and Djokovic really seemed to be unable to fully cover it later on in the match. But for the most part, it seemed like Alcaraz was taking a little bit off of his forehand early uh, after he could not hit one in play in the first set. And it did seem like Alcaraz was putting more arc on his shot. I don't know if it was involved in, involving more topspin or maybe just a little bit more of uh, just security by trying to uh, limit the unforced errors, which was killing Alcaraz for the first set and a half. But I did notice Alcaraz was hitting the ball a little bit higher, and with him cutting down the unforced errors definitely gave Djokovic some problems because he was no longer handing over free points. So I was a fan of that adjustment that Alcaraz made. I thought he did a good job of coming to the net. Uh, Djokovic served relatively well. I noticed, though, that his footing was a bit of an issue. He slipped a couple of times, so that was not just Sinner dealing with that in the semis, for example. Djokovic did have some footwork issues, and one factor I got to mention was the wind, because it was very windy, and, of course, people were a little bit confused going into the match on if the roof would be open or not, because it was raining about 20 minutes before the actual match started. But they decided to keep the, the uh, roof open. You didn't get any more rain but the wind definitely was a factor, and I had to mention it because Alcaraz was definitely the one who benefited more from the open roof, and I think we can agree if the roof was closed, Djokovic would have benefited, but still. The point is, Alcaraz did what most people thought was impossible. He was able to beat Djokovic, a man who had not lost on that particular court in 10-plus years. I said in the last episode I was picking Djokovic to win because, once again, in order to be the champion... In order to be the champion, you got to beat the champion. And I question if Alcaraz could really do it. Having said that, I did mention in the last episode that if Alcaraz won, I would be surprised, but I would not be totally shocked because I did think that Alcaraz had the ability to force a marathon match. I was really close to getting everything right in the match because I picked Djokovic in five. And unfortunately, the wrong guy won in five. But once again, I still gave Alcaraz credit or enough credit to make it a serious war. And I know people are talking about it being an all-time great match. I think it's up there in terms of recent Grand Slam finals, especially finals, because we've seen Djokovic and Nadal really just steamroll through people for a long time. And you don't really get many insane marathon five-set finals. I'm thinking of the Medvedev-Nadal final, whether it involved the U.S. Open or the Australian Open. Those were kind of crazy. Uh, but for the most part, you did see relatively straightforward Grand Slams more often than not when you saw Federer and Nadal and Djokovic. And the only time you saw serious marathon matches were them against each other. I feel like that's a pretty safe summary of the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years of tennis. You've had a couple of exceptions, of course, with Warenka having some great matches against Djokovic. But mostly, 
the big three getting together were the marathon matches and any challengers to them usually lost pretty straightforward. It's the way it is, but Alcaraz and Djokovic put together a great match. I'm not going to tell you that it's the greatest match of all time or anywhere near that because maybe it's a personal bias. I can't have two separate 6-1 sets be included in what could be one of the greatest matches of all time. It was very, very good, but I have seen better. So that's my overall takeaway for the quality of the Grand Slam. Great final for recent, for just overall recent matchups. But I think in the grand scheme all time, talking about Grand Slam finals, I've seen a lot better. But once again, high quality, looking forward to matchups between them in the future. And I feel like everyone is hoping that Djokovic and and, uh, Alcaraz meet up once again in the U.S. Open. But anyway, time to move on to the actual purpose of the show. Time to get into the outrights. We're going to start off in chronological order because the next match day, uh, you do have Gastad starting at 4.30 a.m., and Bustad starting at 5 a.m. So we're going to start off with Gastad, then move over to Bustad, and then talk about Newport, which is starting at 11 a.m. Eastern time. So starting off with Gastad, you have a pretty fascinating tournament where anybody could win because you have a couple of co-favorites. You have Batista Agut at plus 650. That tells you how crazy this is going to be because Batista Agut is a co-favorite with Hoffman, Sonigo, and then you have Dominic Team. At plus 700. Now, part of that's because team looked really good against Mueller on Monday. So that could be recency bias. But you have three separate guys within seven to one. You have five, uh, sorry, you have four separate guys within seven to one and five separate guys within 750 because Kekmanovic is at plus 750. Then you have Warenka at 10 to one. You have uh, Majedovic, uh, who is at 14 to one. Munar's at 18 to one. Altmaier's at 20 to one. Rodionov is 20 to 1. Fields is 22 to 1. Uh, Ramos Vinolas is 22 to 1. Katchen's 25 to 1. Stricker's 25 to 1. And Yemmer is 28 to 1. You have Berg's at 28 to 1. And I'm going to kind of cut that off. If you want to go with a guy that has won a clay event earlier this year, you can get Baina at 33 to 1. But for the sake of the actual strategy for how we're going to break down these tournaments, I mentioned the outright odds. Then I'll transition over the quarters, and then I'll talk about uh, who I think, once again, can win the quarter, and then work our way from there. But I do want to mention the actual history of the event. So this is going to be the Swiss Open, and Rude is the defending champion. He's actually the two-time defending champion, but that means you will be having a brand-new champion because Rude is not here. He's actually in Bustad, so he's giving some other guys a chance. Now, to go through the previous winners, Rude's won the last two. You had COVID in 2020. Uh, Ramos Vinolas won it in 2019. You had Berrettini in 2018, Fagnini in 2017, Feliciano Lopez in 16, Team in 15, uh, and Duhar in 14, and then you have a bunch of retired players. So, should be an interesting matchup uh, for the overall tournament because, once again, you have five separate guys within plus 750, and that's the beauty of ATP 250s because I'm not sure how much faith you have in any of them. So, to go through the actual draw, for each player. Actually, no, I'll do the quarters first, and then I'll go for the actual draw. So, Batista Agut is plus 137 to win the first quarter. Warenka is plus 300. Munar is plus 375. Kachin is 6-1. to one. Daniel is 850. And Baina is 9-1. to one. So, looking at the actual first quarter, you have Batista Agut with a decent draw. The problem, though, is with his age, I don't know how well he's going to perform for how long, and that's going to be the problem. He did lose early on in Wimbledon. Uh, I know that that hurt us personally because we had him to make a run in that quarter, 
but he has been off for a while because he did a lose in the first round to uh, Safulan in that five-set marathon match, so he should be well-rested. does have a bye, though. But you do have to wonder if the changing of surfaces might be a problem for Batista Agut, and you're looking at who he might match up against in the round of 16. Not easy. He's got a matchup against either Katchen or Taro Daniel. I'm assuming Katchen, and I do think that Katchen, even though I really don't like him that much as a player, I have to acknowledge that he is a pretty good clay player, and I do think he can give Batista good problems in that quarter. As for the other section, you do have Munar taking on either Baina or Warenka. I'm not sure who's going to win that matchup between Warenka and Baina. That should be an entertaining battle, but with it being clay, it could really go either way. So I do think this is a relatively open quarter if you think that Agut is vulnerable and I do think he's vulnerable because he's still up there in years. Even though he is Spanish, he or he is a Spaniard, uh, I do think that you're looking at a guy that probably prefers other surfaces before clay. And I think that when you're looking at how these players match up, I do think that Agut could be an upset alert. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if he wins the actual quarter, but do I see much value at plus 375? I really don't. I don't think that he's worthy of being that cheap of a price. And I actually want to go through the bottom section there in that quarter. So you have Hoffman. And I'm sorry, just to make sure I got this right. Uh, let me just check this out for a second. Uh, that's the quarterfinals uh, semi. Okay, never mind. So, uh, yeah, Munar and Baina, I think, are going to potentially have a collision course. But Waranka can definitely win. I'm not picking Walranka or Agut. I'm just not going to do it. I don't trust either of them with their older age to get it done. I feel better about Agut than Walranka at the stage in their careers, but I do think that you're probably looking at Munar to have a decent path here if you want to go for a long shot. Munar looked pretty good against Richard. Richard is a go-for-broke kind of guy who tends to hit a lot of unforced errors, but Munar I thought was very good at actually hitting deep returns, and I do think that he can make life difficult for his opponents. I am kind of tempted by Munar at plus 375 to get the job done in this quarter. I think Katchen is worth a look at 6-1. to one. That might be interesting. I do want to look at the head-to-head, though, uh, between Munar and Baina, just so I have a vague idea of what to expect if that matchup would take place. So looking at the head-to-head there for Munar and Baina, Baina's actually up 3 nothing. So I got to actually factor that into my handicap because a couple of those matchups were a while ago as they faced off in Bastad in 2019 and in Santiago in 2020. They faced off in the U.S. Open in 2022, which doesn't mean much because it's a hardcore match event, obviously, when they're clay specialists. But I do think that means I have to at least consider Baina at plus 900. And I think that Baina, once again, is good enough on clay to beat Waranka. So I think Baina is definitely a little bit undervalued and I do wonder why his price is so high. I don't really understand why it's 9 to 1. I think you can make an argument that Baina has a serious shot to actually make a deep run in this quarter, but uh do I want to go with Munar? Now I actually got to reconsider it because Munar once again has had issues against Baina and that could be a, a somewhat likely matchup. Uh this is going to be interesting. I do think though Baina's worth a shot. I'll start off with who I'm eliminating. I'm not going to take a Goot. I'm not going to take Waranka. Katchen, I think, is interesting. Uh, I want to look up the head-to-head once again for a lot of these guys because with them being clay specialists, I have to at least acknowledge uh, how they've fared against particular opponents. 
So Katchen, to look at his numbers against Batista Agut, they've never played. So I have a lot of uncertainty here, but Agut is seven years older. He's 35. Uh, could be a bit of a problem once again, having to win a couple of matches without any off days. But I think for the sake of this quarter, I'm going to swing for the fences. I'm going to go with Munar at plus 375. I'm going to go with Katchen at plus 600. And I'm going to go with Baina at plus 900. And I will fade the older guys at uh, with Agut and Waranka. So moving on to the second quarter, that first quarter could go really well or really badly. So we'll see what happens there. As for the second quarter, you have Hoffman at plus 162. You have Team at plus 200. You have Majedovic uh, at plus 333 and Altmaier at plus 450. This one is extremely fascinating because I do think uh, any of these four guys can actually win the quarter. And Hoffman, I think, should be the favorite because of his recent form. But I don't think it's going to be easy because Altmaier is a very good clay player. He looked pretty good against Bonzi uh, in the Monday match. And Hoffman, once again, having to play in Wimbledon and then having some time off. Same exact spot as Agut because they lost in the first round. And now they're transitioning over to Clay, where Altmaier does have one Clay match under his belt, which might help him out. But for the sake of the actual head-to-head between Hoffman and Altmaier, uh, two Germans, so they probably have faced off a decent amount of times before. Uh, but I just want to pull this up quickly. I do think Altmaier is quite live to win this event. Or not this event, but I do think he's alive to win this matchup. And I do think that even though Hoffman's had some good results on clay this year, Altmaier is 1-0 in the head-to-head, and that was in a clay event earlier this year. They faced off in Madrid, and Altmaier beat him 7-6-6-3. So I do think there is value automatically on Altmaier to, to win this quarter at the longest odds, because once again, you're looking at what should be a pretty long uh, I, I should say what should be a long and grueling match between the two of them. And you see a spot where you can get 450 in an open quarter against a guy who he's beaten already this year on clay. I really do like Altmaier to win this quarter. Now, I do think that team and Majedovic is interesting. I really don't know much about Majedovic for full disclosure. I don't think I've ever actually seen him play before, at least uh, vi- uh, visually. Of course, I can look through his overall wins and losses and tell you how well he's done. But I do think when you're looking at team, team we know is a bit of a head case, and he's been really underwhelming for the last couple of years, ever since he had the wrist injury. He did look really good against against Moore in the Monday match. Now, does that mean much? I don't know. I'm not picking him to win the quarter. I don't think there's value on it, but I don't know enough about Majedovic to tell you if he's going to beat team or not. So I think I kind of have to pass on both. Team until he actually proves something. I'm not going to take him to win a quarter at plus 200. I don't see the value on that. But I do think if you're looking at where the value might lie for the sake of this matchup, I think that Majedovic probably has some value uh, against team. I think he might have some value to win the quarter. But I do think the best odds easily in this quarter is going to be Altmaier at 450. I just think 450 is a crazy price for a guy that's already beaten one of the favorites to win this event who's in his quarter earlier this year on clay, and now it's 450. I I think Altmaier can really beat the likes of team and Hoffman and Majedovic, and I do think because of that, uh, Altmaier's one-handed backhand can give these guys some problems. So give me Altmaier at plus 450. I don't think I'm going to make multiple choices here. I thought about taking one. Maybe Hoffman, if you want to make an argument, because that way you automatically have somebody through to the uh, quarterfinals, but 
I saw Hoffman beat team on clay. I believe it was last year. So you can make an argument that Hoffman, once again, can be team as well, or Majedovic. Majedovic throws a wrench in the whole thing, though, because I really don't know much about him. So I do think when you're looking at what to expect, I have a general read on three of these four guys, but I really don't know much about Majedovic. And that's kind of going to throw a, a loop into things. He did qualify here, and he was actually able to beat team in straight sets in uh, team's home country earlier this year. So I think there's value on Majedovic once again to beat team here. He went through qualifying, looked decent, beat Gao and beat another qualifier or, or another guy in qualifying in straight sets and then beat Zhang in three. But I think if you want to look at who there's no value on, it's team because team lost in the head-to-head matchup against Majedovic earlier this year. He's lost on clay to Humphman and Altmaier. So I'm not interested uh, in who uh, or Actually, I got to check if he lost to Altmaier before. I know Altmaier has the ability to beat him, but I want to pull that up. But I know for a fact he has lost to Majedovic and he has lost to Hoffman on clay in the last year and change. So I do think, once again, looking at where the value is in this event or in this quarter, I think the value is probably on Majedovic and on Altmaier. And I think I am going to go to the window with Majedovic here, uh, just because he has beat team in the head-to-head before earlier this year. Yeah, Altmaier and team have never faced off against each other, but that should be a pretty fun matchup. Altmaier is comfortable on clay, though. If Hoffman wins the quarter, I wouldn't be shocked, but it's kind of a similar story to the first quarter. I just see the value being on on Majedovic and on Altmaier, especially Altmaier. Altmaier is my favorite play in this quarter at plus 450. You can handle the other stuff uh, however you want, but I will lean to Majedovic as my other uh, out right here at plus 333. Now, moving on to the third quarter, you have a lot of interesting options. You have Sunigo at plus 150. You have Yemer, or Emer, I should say, or uh, I believe it's pronounced Emer, uh, at plus 550. Ramos Vanolis at plus 550. Varius at 6-1. to one. You have uh, Rinderknich at 6-1, to one, Fognini at 7-1, to one, and Bagnus at 10-1. to one. Now, this is going to be a pretty interesting quarter because Sonigo is a guy that I really don't trust, and that was in really bad form for the last couple of tournaments he was in. Now, that was on grass, but he did lose to Zhang, and then he lost in the first round of Wimbledon. Not totally his fault because he was against uh, Berrettini, who remembered how to play, and he's a great grass player. So not a full uh, level of just ineptitude by Sonigo there recently in that Wimbledon matchup. But the point is he wasn't exactly playing good tennis, and we know he is a bit of a loose cannon. Let's put it that way. Now, Ramos Vanolas is taking on Fagnini in what should be a really fun match. That is a bit of a throwback match, uh, but I do think that can go either way. I think Sonigo should beat either player, but we'll see what happens in that one, uh, especially with Ramos Vanolas winning this event in years past. So we'll see how that goes. But you're looking at what could be a very, very fun and open quarter because Emer and Varias might kill each other. Rinderknich and Bagnus might kill each other. Fagnini and, and Ramos Vanolas might kill each other. And Sonigo has a bye. So Sonigo might have value with that bye, watching all the other players kill each other. And I do think, once again, Sonigo should be the favorite against Fagnini and against Ramos Vanolas. Fagnini, if he was fully healthy... I think would have a shot to actually potentially win this quarter, but he's well past his prime, and I have questions about the durability and his overall court coverage, and I think that's going to be a problem for him in this event. So for me, I think Sonigo's worth a look, but I really don't want to take plus 150 with a guy that I can't trust 
So once again, I got to pull up the actual head-to-head matchups because I am tempted by the top half of the section. Uh, trying to avoid Sunday go as long as possible, hoping he gets upset, and then maybe you can get an easier matchup in the quarterfinals. But I do want to look at that Emer and Varias match because Varias did us a solid, obviously, in the French Open, beating her catch as we won that plus 900 prop play. But I do think that can be a very interesting match where Emer was playing some very good tennis on grass. And I do know, once again, different surface. I get all that. Emer's not a bad clay player, though, and he has been... Uh, building some confidence lately, beating Fritz, for example, in the first round of, the, of Wimbledon while coming back from two sets down definitely can help build some confidence. But I do think when you're looking at how this quarter can play out, I think Emer and I do, and I think that uh, Varius can make runs in this overall event, especially if you are not sold on Sonigo and the rest of that section. Now, Emer and Varias have never played against each other, which, once again, is going to make this really difficult to pick. I think if I had to pick between the two of them, I probably would lean to Emer. I don't feel great about it. I think I'm going to lean to the over in that match. I could see that being an absolute marathon. But I do think if I'm looking at how this is going to play out, I do think that there's value on either Varias or Emer Two players that I know can handle the pressure of winning a couple of marathon matches. Rinderknich, I'm not sold on. I think he's decent on clay, but I'm, I I don't think he's the greatest on clay. So I do think he might actually lose to Bagnus. Keep an eye on Bagnus at 10-1. to 1. I don't think Bagnus is going to win the quarter, but I do think he can upset Rinderknich, which once again could make life easier for Emer or for Varius. It's really tough to blindly take two outrights when they play against each other in the first round, but I really do like the odds on Emer and on Varius at 550 and 6-1. I think I'm just going to hold my nose and accept the fact that one of them is going to lose because I do think that Emer or Varius can actually handle a deep run in this quarter. So give me Emer and give me Varius. I think whoever wins that matchup will beat Rinderknich or Bagnus. So give me Emer at 550 and give me Varius. It's going to be another long shot quarter because once again, I'm really not sold on the uh, clubhouse leader to actually make it to the semi. I don't trust Sonigo enough. So I'm going to ignore Sonigo here. If you want to make a case because you're low on Fagnini and on Ramos Vanolas, I understand it, but I really don't trust Sonigo. So I will go with uh, Emer and Varius in that quarter. And the last one in the fourth quarter, you have Kekmanovic, you have uh, Rodionov, you have Bergs, Fields, and Stricker. You have Kekmanovic at plus 160, you have Rodionov at plus 260, Bergs at 450. I thought he looked pretty good in his match on Monday as he beat Dejir. Uh, you, end up, you have Fills at plus 500 and Stricker at plus 600. Now, for this overall quarter, first things first, I'm not taking Rodionov. I don't see any value on it. He was able to beat Huswar in his matchup on Monday. I don't consider Hussworth to be a very good player. I think that he is, of course, going to be getting some extra credit from the odds makers because he is Swiss, and people thought he might make a run as the home country guy. But he's really not that great, and I know that Hussworth is better on some other surfaces because of the serve and volley game. But Bergs looked re looked good against Dejir, and Dejir is a good uh, clay player that was in good form in Wimbledon. And I do think that when you're looking at who can make a somewhat long-shot run here. I think Bergs really has the talent to do it. Now, I watched Bergs play in a match we actually faded him in a couple of months ago, 
against Green, and that was a marathon match, which Green won 7-6-7-6. But watching Bergs play, he's definitely a solid clay player, and I think he actually will beat Ronionov. I think there's value on it. Bergs is a pretty heavy underdog against Dajir, and he was able to get the job done. He won the first set 6-0. Dajir came out a bit flat, and Bergs capitalized. But I do think Bergs is pretty live to win this quarter at this current price. At plus 450, I do like it. Now, to look at the other uh, uh, actual matchups here in the section, you have Phil's taking on Stricker, which could be anybody's overall match. I think I'd lean to Phil's, but that could go either way. I think Kekmanovich is going to beat either player. I know Kekmanovich has been a bit underwhelming lately, but I do think that he is the better player out of those three by a decent margin. So give me Kekmanovich to actually make it to the quarter and then give me Bergs to make the quarter as well. So my two picks here, are, I'm actually going to pick one of the favorites. I'm going to go with Kekmanovich at plus 160, and I'll go with Bergs at plus 450. I really don't see much value on anybody else, but I do think that Bergs is good enough to beat Rodionov, and I think Rodionov's a bit overvalued because of the fact that he beat Husor, a home country guy, when Husor is not that good on clay. So my two picks, actually, I'm, so my uh, picks once again for all the quarters. The first quarter, I'm going to go with Munar at plus 375. Uh, I'll go with uh, Kachin at plus 600, and I'll go with Baina at plus 900. For the second quarter, I'm going to go with uh, Majedovic at plus 333 and Altmaier at plus 450. For the third quarter, give me Emer at plus 550, and give me Varius at 6-1. to one. And for the fourth quarter, give me Kekmanovic at plus 160, and give me Bergs at plus 450. Now that we did the quarters, it's time to get into the actual outrights to win the overall uh, tournament. So getting into the overall tournament, you have what should be, well, a lot of fun. Uh, you should have a pretty... Open tournament once again with pretty much a five-way favorite split here. The only favorite I'm really tempted by is Kekmanovic at plus 750. He's the only one I took to win the quarter, so I'm not going to take any of the other guys. Batista Agut could be one of those players that wins the quarter and then gets upset by a younger guy if he has to play a lot of rounds. Hoffman's a good player, so it wouldn't shock me if he wins, but I don't see much value on him at plus 650. Sunday goal I'm going to pass on and team I'm going to pass on especially team, because I don't trust him at all. But I do think when you're looking at who can make a somewhat deep run, I'm not going to take Majedovic, but I do think he can be in line to make the semi. But I do think there's value on Kikmanovic at 750. There's value on Munar at 18-1, to 1, I think is interesting. But I do think Altmaier's got value at 20-1, to 1, especially with his quarter, where he can definitely handle the people that are there in his immediate mat potential matchups. And you're looking at Altmaier's form on clay. We saw him beat Sinner, for example, uh, in the French Open. So I know that he can handle it. He had some injury issues uh, right before Wimbledon. But it does seem like those resolve themselves. Uh, but he can beat Hoffman. He has beaten Hoffman earlier this year on clay. And I do think he can beat Team or Majedovic. So I do think that Altmaier is in a good spot to potentially make a run as a somewhat long shot there at 20-1. to 1. Besides that, though, I really don't see many other long shots. I think Bergs is worth a shot at 28-1. to 1. Emer and Varius are tempting. But do I want to take two tournament outrights on guys that are going to play against each other in the next round? I might honestly just wait it out for the sake of an outright and take whoever wins that Emer and Varius matchup and take him afterwards to win it. But I don't think there's any value in what should be a coin flip match between the two of them. I feel better about it for the quarter. 
because you obviously have less rounds to deal with. For the sake of to, of the actual tournament outrights, Emer and and Varius, I'm going to pass on. I'll take whoever wins that match, and I'll add them to my collection. But I'm not going to take them before that matchup. So once again, my outrights for this tournament in Gestad, I'm going to go with uh, Kekmanovic at 750. I'm going to go with Munar at 18 to 1, Altmaier at 20 to 1, and I will also take a flyer on Bergs at 28 to 1. And I'll also throw in, uh, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to throw in Baina at 33 to 1. I think there's value on it for a guy that's already won a clay event this year. Uh, and then, of course, whoever wins the uh, Emer and Varius match. And you might be saying to yourself, that's a lot of bets there. If one of the favorites wins, you're probably screwed. Yeah, you're not wrong. Now, I'm going to fully admit that there is some liability for me if one of the favorites does win it besides Kikmanovic. But with such an open tournament with this field and an ATP 250, I do think that there is a lot of merit taking a lot of long shots because you can see one of them definitely realistically make it to the finish line. And if one of them does win it, you do make a lot of profit in the end. So that's going to be my overall breakdown for Gestad. Now it's time to get into the other two tournaments. So once again, it will be a long episode. Getting into Bustad, to start off with the actual outright odds, you have Rude at plus 250, Zverev at plus 400, Rublev at plus 450, Musetti at plus 700, Sarundolo at plus 700, defending champion Sarundolo at plus 700. You have Echeverry at 14 to 1, Fakina at 14 to 1, Baez at 16 to 1, the other Emer at 33 to 1, Van Ash or Van Ash at uh, 33 to 1. I've heard some alternative pronunciations for his name, so I believe I heard it was Ash uh, during the broadcast yesterday. But anyway, I'll keep that in mind moving forward. Rusevor is at 33 to 1. Arnaldi's at 33 to 1. Zapata Marias is at 40 to 1. You have Montero at 40 to 1. Lahovich at 50 to 1. And then a bunch of serious long shots. So this is a 250, but you can tell from the first couple names, this is the much more intense 250 because you have a couple of really, really good players compared to the first tournament we talked about. Rude is one of the best clay players in the world. You have Zverev, who's a solid clay player. You have Rublev, who is another solid clay player. And Musetti, who specializes on clay. But Rude was, once again, a finalist in the French Open. Zverev made the semi in the French Open. And Rublev did win a Masters 1000 event on clay. So you can tell that this is going to be a much shorter breakdown for, for a 250 because I'm not exactly picking as many long shots because I do think one of the favorites will win this event. Now to go through the actual head-to-head, -head, sorry, to go through the actual history of this event, Rude did win this event in 2021, uh, but he did not participate in 2022 because he took place in the other event. Uh, but the point is, you're looking at, uh, no, he actually did participate. He lost to Sarundolo and I believe the round of 16. But for the sake of this tournament, you have Sarundolo as the defending champion beating Baez in the final. You have Rude who beat Coria. Jari beat Londero. Fagnini beat Gasquet, Ferrer beat Dolgopolov, throwback names there. Then you have a couple of retired players up to this point. So for me, first of all, Rude should be the favorite. It's not a debate for me. At plus 250 or so, I, he would be my pick to win it. I actually took Rude to win this event yesterday because I had a FanDuel boost that was going to expire. So I had to take something for a 50% boost, and I took uh, Rude to win the event. He's got a really good draw, which I'll get into during the quarter breakdown. But I do think, once again, for the sake of those odds and for the sake of the level of competition, you will probably see 
either Rude or Rublev or uh, I think you're going to see either Rude, Zverev, Rublev, Musetti or Sarundalo win this event. Zverev is my least confident. I would toss him out, but I do think any of those other four guys will probably win this event. But getting into the actual quarters for this tournament, you have Rude at minus 175, which tells you once again how likely he is to make a deep run because he's a minus favorite, almost 200 to win this quarter. Echeverry is at 333. Spot is is uh, seven to one. Shevchenko is 14 to one. Offner 16 to one. Juan Manuel Sarundolo 16 to one. And Delian is 20 to one. Simply put, I don't see much value on anybody. Uh, besides Rude, and even Rude doesn't have value at, at a minus 175. But the question is, do I see people actually beating Rude on clay here? I don't. It's a 250 for one of the best clay players in the world who made the French Open final. I think he should cruise. You're going to see Sarundolo and Shevchenko potentially kill each other, and then you have a matchup against probably Echeverry in the quarter, in the uh, semis, I mean. So maybe Echeverry, if you think that he can upset Rude, but Rude's not going to lose to Sarundalo or Shevchenko, and he has a bye in the first round. So you're getting a pretty good deal for Rude. It's a very good draw. I'll take Rude to win the quarter. I'm not taking anybody else. Um, I think Rude's just going to coast. Uh, now moving into the second quarter, you have Musetti at plus 137. You have Fakina at plus 240. Arnaldi at 6-1. to one. Rusevori at 7-1. to one. You have Lahovic at 750. And then you have a couple of long shots. So Musetti should be the favorite. He's been in very good form, and we know that he's a good clay player. Now, Fakina is an absolute head case who has the talent to be great, but then on the other hand, we saw in, the, in Wimbledon, he goes for an underarm serve at, what was it, 9-9 in the tie, in the Super Breaker? He's an idiot. He's the biggest choker on tour. But you're looking at how his draw unfolds. It's not bad. Now, Lahovich is a very good clay player when he's in form, but he's not in form, and that's going to be a problem. So I do think, once again, Fakina could be in a decent spot to make a run here. But Lahovich is always that dark horse candidate if he's on if he's in form to potentially upset a bunch of guys in this event. Now for the sake of the overall matchup, I don't know how much faith I can actually put in Lahovich because of how bad he's been for the last month and change. So I do think even though I want to make a case for Lahovich to make a decent run here, I don't think I can because he has really not played good tennis. He has lost a bunch of matches in a row. He's lost five straight. And as a result, I don't think I can make a full case for him here. Maybe the time off will help, but he did lose in Wimbledon in the first round, which I'm not going to roast him for because he's not a great grass player. But his last clay match, he retired in the middle of the second set after getting destroyed by Zhang, 6-1, 4-1. Got buried by Jari, got buried by Borges, and lost in three to Struff. The point is, Lahovich isn't in great form physically, so I can't exactly pick him. Fakina should, he word should, make it to the quarterfinals. And you're looking at Musetti's section, it's a lot tougher. Uh, Musetti's section is a bye, followed by the likes of either Arnaldi or Rusevori. I'm assuming Musetti's going to beat either guy, but that's some quality competition. I think you're probably looking at Chalk in this quarter. They're looking at Musetti and Fakina probably against each other in the actual semi. i sorry, in the quarter. So I will go with the favorites here. Give me Musetti at plus 137 and give me Fakina at plus 240. I do think, once again, I will double down and take Musetti to win the overall event, which I'll get into in a second. But I really do see Chalk there. 
Give me Musetti and Fakina to win this quarter. Now, moving on to the third quarter, you have Sarundalo at minus 105. You have Baez at plus 275. Emer at 5-1. to one. Uh, Van Ausch at 5-1. to one. Coria at 16-1. to one. And Borg, who I've never heard of, at 100-1. to one. So Borg's got no shot. He's obviously the local qualifier wild card that's going to get buried, but they want to give the local crowd something to cheer about. So he's got no chance. As for the actual section, I think it's pretty interesting that Baez and Coria are against each other in the first round because that can be an absolute war. I think I am going to Baez because he has played more tennis lately. Coria's battled some injuries, uh, which has kind of derailed his season. Now, they matched up in a clay final earlier this year, and Baez won that one in three. I think Baez is the better clay player, and I will pick him to win that matchup. I don't think Elias, uh, I don't think uh, Elias Emer or Borg have any chance in hell of actually getting out of that section. It's either going to be Baez or Coria. Whoever wins that matchup should be in a good spot. I think it's against Sarundalo. I know Van Osh was able to beat a relative unknown, a Swiss wild card, in a competitive two set match. But Sarundalo's defending champion. I think he's better than Van Osh. And Sarundalo has a decent serve. Van Osh doesn't. So Sarundalo should be able to beat Van Osh. So I think there's value on Sarundalo because he should be able to, I don't want to say cruise into the quarter, but he should be able to look sharp en route to that. And you're looking at where the rest of the value lies. You can make an argument for Corey at 16-1. to 1. I don't hate it at those odds, especially since Corey has made a deep run here in the past because Corey was the runner-up here a couple of years ago, and he ended up uh, once again losing in the final to Rude in 2021. No shame in that because Rude's a top three clay player in the world. So you're looking at how, or top four, uh, whatever. Point is Rude's an elite clay player. But Baez did make the final last year, so I know that he's capable of also making a solid run. Baez in the head-to-head, to pull that up quickly. Uh, sorry, just need to pull that up uh, in a, uh, for a second. Uh, so quickly, just looking at this actual matchup between uh, Coria and between Baez. Baez has once again gotten the better of the recent matchups because he did win the matchup earlier this year in three sets in Cordoba. That was the only matchup they've ever had against each other. But Baez, I do think, is in better form than Coria. Coria is a very good clay player, but I do think there are levels to it. And I do think that, once again, Baez is the better clay player. So give me Baez to get the job done. I think he's in line to look sharp in this event. I think Baez I'll return to during the actual outright picks. But Baez in Wimbledon lost to Barrios Vera in the first round. He, he did play some of the clay season. Of course, Baez had that choke job against Monfi in the first round of uh, the French Open. But he played a lot of clay matches. Uh, you're looking at... Coria, he really did not, and he's been involved in a couple of clay challengers, and he's not fared that well. He lost to Masur in uh, Germany in a challenger event there in three sets. That was his only match there. So not in great form. I think Baez beats him. But for the sake of this quarter, once again, I will go with Chalk. I will go with Sarundalo, and I will go with Baez to win this quarter. Sarundalo at minus 105, and Baez at plus 175. And moving into the fourth quarter, you have Rublev at plus 120, you have Zverev at plus 130, you have Montero at 7-1, to Kecinato at 14-1, to and then a couple of other shots that I don't think have a chance. So, first of all, to look at this quarter, I do think, once again, it's going to be a very fun one where you should see Rublev against Zverev. However, 
you always have to keep an eye on Kechinato, who I do think, once again, can make a somewhat deep run here because I do really like his overall game on clay. And to look at the actual draws for this section, you have Rublev taking on either the winner of Kechinato or Kotov, probably Kechinato if I had to guess, and you have Zverev taking on Molkan. I'm assuming Zverev's going to beat him, and then Zverev should beat uh, Montero. So Zverev's got a pretty decent path to the actual quarterfinal. Rublev does too, but I do think Kechinato is going to make this interesting for Rublev. Rublev Rublev's probably going to win, but would it shock me if Kechinato pushed it to three sets? No. For the sake of this quarter, I think I'm going chalk once again. I think it's going to be Rublev or Zverev, but I will throw in a long shot flyer, a sprinkle on Kechinato at 14 to 1. I just really like that price for a guy that is a very solid clay player. So I'll throw in him as well as a long shot. So once again, my actual picks for the quarters here, a lot of chalk. Rude for the first quarter at minus 175. I think he's going to cruise through that section. Busetti, I'm going to take a plus 137 in the second quarter. And Fakina at plus 240. Give me Sarundalo and Baez. Sarundalo at plus, uh, Sarundalo at minus 105. Sarundalo at minus 105. And Baez at plus 275. And for the fourth quarter, give me Rublev at plus 120. Zverev at plus 130. And I'll throw in a long shot dart throw on Kechinato at 14 to 1. Now moving into the actual uh outrights for this event, I'm taking Rude at plus 250. I'm not taking Zverev. I don't think Zverev's going to beat Rude if they face off against each other, and I'm not sure Zverev's going to beat Rublev at plus 450. Rublev is interesting because he has had success against Rude on clay in the past. So I am tempted by him. I don't think I'm going to take Sarundalo. I think facing off against Baez in your quarter isn't ideal, and then having to beat either Rude or any of these guys, it's going to be a bit too difficult for me. So I'm not going to pick Sarundalo to repeat at plus 700. I do think I'm going to take Baez at 16-1 to to potentially avenge his final loss last year, but it's pretty chalky. I'm going to go with Rude at plus 250. I'm going to go with Rublev at 450. Musetti at 7-1. to and give me Baez at 16 to 1. That's going to wrap it up for Bastad. Now, moving into uh, my favorite tournament of the year, one of them, it's going to be Newport, which is the grass. We're going to transition over. And for this event, to go through the actual outright odds, full disclosure, I do not have quarter odds. So this will be a pretty short breakdown. But Tommy Paul's the favorite at 3 to 1. Jordan Thompson is the second favorite at 450. Manorino is 650. Umber is not, uh, plus 900. McDonald's 10 to 1. Isner's at 10 to 1. Cressy's at 10 to 1. Defending champion Cressy. And then a bunch of long shots who I don't think have a shot. So if you want to go for the long shot angle, maybe make a case for Brody, but I'm not going to do that. I don't think Brody's good. I just think he got matched up against Rude on a really bad surface for Rude, and it went five sets. Having said all that, I want to give a shout out to a guy making his return from retirement. Kevin Anderson, a former champion here, is actually participating, and I'm looking forward to seeing him play, especially with his serve on this court. I'm not sure how rusty he's going to look, but it's nice to see him back, and hopefully he can make a somewhat deep run. For the sake of this actual draw, though, first things first, I really do like Jordan Thompson. I will have a play on Thompson in my card, because Thompson, I liked anyway. He was in very good form throughout the grass season, and then he matched up against Kovacevic on Monday, and he buried him 6-0-6-1. He looked absolutely phenomenal, and I think that he's in line for a very good showing in this event. To go through his actual draw, though, 
it is going to be a bit of a difficult one. Matchup against Brody, which I think he should win. Then probably Manorino. So you might see a very good matchup between these players. If I'm not mistaken, I believe Thompson and Manorino did face off against each other somewhat recently. I might be wrong, but I do want to put I do want to pull this up. Uh, so let me just quickly see how they've fared in the head-to-head in the past. Uh, just quickly pulling this up. Uh, Thompson and Manorino facing off against each other. Uh, you have seen a pretty interesting matchup in the head-to-head where it is 4-2 Manorino, but they did face off earlier this year on grass in Denbush, and Thompson did beat him in three sets. So Thompson has gotten the better of Manorino on grass recently, and I do think when you're looking at the previous matchups between those players, a lot of them were in 2019 or earlier, so I'm kind of dismissing those. But the two matchups this year, uh, Manorino beat him in Dallas in straight sets, a hardcore event, and then Thompson beat him on grass in a war in three sets. But give me Thompson uh, to win that matchup there. I think Thompson's looked like the re- just a better player uh, based on recent form. Manorino's still very good on grass, and I do think it could be a battle where whoever wins that match could maybe win the entire tournament. But I think you're looking at what could be a very, very entertaining matchup between the two of them. But Thompson, after his first-round performance, I got to take a piece uh, of him to win this tournament. So give me Thompson at 450. Manorino, I think I'm going to skip, because I do think that's going to be a very difficult path for Manorino, where you have to beat Thompson and then potentially beat another guy who could uh, give make life difficult for Manorino. But I think I am going to go with Thompson at 450. As for the other options, I got to mention Tommy Paul uh, because he is the favorite here. So looking at his overall draw, plus Manorino could lose to Hitchikata. You never know. But I do think that, once again, Thompson is in line to put together a very good showing here. So I'm going to pick him. As for Paul, he does have a very, very easy quarter. And you're looking at who he's facing off against, a wild card or a qualifier in his first match. Paul should win comfortably. And then either Mutet, Isner, or Bolt. Isner should retire already. Isner is a mess, and he was brutal at Wimbledon. So Paul should, keyword should, make it to the semis, if I had to go based on his overall draw. Now, looking at the other options, you have McDonald at 10-1, to 1, who could be intriguing. Uh, Cressy is defending champion, but he's been a mess on grass this season, or really just on any surface this season. And I do think he's going to perform well here. Uh, Mickelson's an interesting player who has not played many grass events leading into this. So Cressy, I think, should have the edge. Do I actually give out a piece on Cressy because his serve is so dominant here? I don't think I can because Cressy's been that bad this year. I think Cressy's going to find a way to blow it, and I don't see a repeat champion in the Hall of Fame Open. For the record, you have not had a repeat champion since Isner in 2011 and 2012. But if you want to go through historical uh I'd say significance, or you want to mention it, you have had Americans have a lot of success. Americans have won four of the last five uh, main draws here. So if you want to go for an American, Paul's probably worth a look, but historically speaking, big servers have done very well here. You have Cressy, who beat Bublik. You had Anderson, who won. Isner against Bublik. Uh, Johnson's a decent server, but I know uh, Ramanathan had a Cinderella run there. He's still a pretty decent servant volley guy. Isner has won this event four times. Karlovich won this event. Uh, Ram, before he went to a full doubles career, had a pretty good serve. You have seen big serves really dictate uh, the overall tournament uh, in terms of success. And I haven't really picked a big server. So I do think if you want to make a case for Cressy, you can. 
I'm not going to do it. No chance to take Isner. I'm not taking Isner a 10 to 1. He's on death's door at this stage in his career. So I'm going to pass on him. But I am going to go with Paul at 3 to 1. I'm going to go with Thompson at 450. Do I think Umber can make a run? Umber is a good grass player who's got a pretty uh, deceptive lefty serve. To go through his matchups, though, I do think you can make a case that he is in line for a decent performance because Chung and Johnson would be his matchup in the uh, next round because he's got a bye in the first round. Johnson's also a guy who can't perform well here, but he's extremely old. He's going to retire soon. I think he's in line to underperform here. And then you have either Anderson, Diallo, Brower, or Purcell. I think it's a really good path for Umber. So I'm going to take him. I think Umber can be in line for a good showing here. And I do think that Umber can make a surprising run here to some, not to me for the draw. But for the sake of this tournament, I think I'm going to go with some chalk. Give me Paula plus 300. Give me Thompson at 450. And I will go with Umber at 9-1. to one. My favorite play out of those three is going to be Thompson because of how good his form was. But Paul's draw is really good. Umber's draw is really good. That's good enough for me. If you want the long shot, great serve option, I can't really take Anderson because he has not played tennis for a while. But he does check the great serve box if you want to go for that angle in this event. But that's going to wrap it up for these three tournaments. Uh, it's going to, It should be a lot of fun over the next couple of days. But, of course, I'm looking forward to hopefully cashing a lot of outrights either with the quarters or with the outrights to win the tournaments. But other than that, though, that's going to do it for the actual outrights for those three tournaments. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks for the matches taking place on Tuesday or Wednesday. Before we do that, though, going to have a quick word from our sponsor. We're also brought to you by Circus Sports. Circa Millions and Circus Survivor are back. $14 million in guaranteed prizes up for grabs. Circa Millions is pretty simple. Five NFL picks against the spread each week. There's a leaderboard, and depending on how well you do, you can make yourself some serious money. On top of that, Circus Survivor is a different but fun way to get in on the NFL action. Pick a different Moneyline winner each week. You cannot use, once again, the same team twice, and whoever's the last team standing or last person standing ends up winning the grand prize, or if multiple Multiple people do make it to the end of the season, then you chop whatever the grand prize is. And on top of that, you can enter in Vegas, but play from anywhere using a proxy. And Sports Game Podcast will be out there last weekend in August. So stop by and say hi to the gang. CircusSports.com for all the details. CircusSports.com. What would you do if you ended up winning all that money? Possibilities are endless. I'd probably go on vacation. I'd travel a lot, maybe buy a ticket to the Super Bowl. We'd see, but the point is it would be a lot of fun to, of course, get in on the action by winning. And for me, the picks that I'll look at for Survivor, there's a lot of potential options. Once again, the season's so far out there. I would fade the Cardinals, just simply put, with Kyler being on the shelf, and we know Arizona's got the lowest win total of any team. I'd probably just fade the Cardinals, play it safe. There's different philosophies when it comes to Survivor, where some people try to save the best teams for last. Others try to just get the best teams out of the way because you have more faith in them. I'm more of an option B guy. I'd rather just try to survive as long as possible and worry about the planning after. But I do think taking the commanders in the first game at home against the Cardinals is worth a look because the Cardinals should be a mess. So that would be my thoughts for the week one of Survivor. But once again, get in on the action at Circus Sports, circusports.com for all of the details.
We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Best Ball Mania 4 is here, and Underdog Fantasy is giving away $15 million in prizes. Underdog Pick'em is also another great way to get down your favorite MLB and college baseball player props. So many ways to win over at Underdog, and it's active in so many states. Head over to UnderdogFantasy.com. Use the promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. It's UnderdogFantasy.com. Promo code SGPN. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the three tournaments that are taking place over the next week in Bustad, Gustad, and Newport. Now it's time to get into the actual lock and dog picks for the matches. Starting off with the lock, I am going to go to Bustad, and it's going to be in a matchup taking place Tuesday morning. Going to be in a matchup between Zverev and Mulcan. and for this one, I will go to the total games in this match. I will take Zverev and Mulcan under. 20 and a half games at minus 128 on FanDuel. Simply put, they faced off against each other in the French Open, and Zverev beat the crap out of him. He won that matchup 6-4, 6-2, 6-1. Mulcan is a crafty lefty, but he's also very streaky, and he's in a serious downswing now. He did end up beating Makic in a challenger event in Slovakia back in mid-June. And after that match, everything went downhill because he lost the next match 6-0, 6-1. Then he went into Wimbledon. Lost to Emer in straight sets, then went back to Clay, had one Clay Challenger match there in Germany, and lost to Chonsky in three. I don't think Chonsky's a very good player, simply put, and I don't think Chonsky's a great uh, Clay player. So pretty embarrassing loss there for Mulcan. Now he's facing off against Zverev, who is a very good Clay player. I think we can all agree that Zverev's best surface is Clay, and the fact that he just beat the same opponent about a month ago in straight sets makes me believe that this total is a little bit too high. Not to mention the fact that Zverev to win in straight sets is around minus 190. So they're expecting Zverev to win comfortably. I think he will win comfortably. And I do think because of that, I don't exactly expect more than 10 games in a set. Mokan's not a great server. Once again, he's a lefty, so he kind of relies on keeping his opponents off guard with his, I guess, unique strokes from the left side. But Zverev's handled it once before. He should handle it again. Give me the under 20 and a half games. I think Zverev wins 6-4-6-2. But give me Zverev and Mokan under 20 and a half games as my lock. And for my dog, I will go back to that Emer and Varius match that I mentioned earlier. And that should be an absolute war. And I'm picking it to be a war. Give me the over two and a half sets at plus 130. That'll be taking place on... Uh, Tuesday as well at around 5.50 a.m. Eastern time. But simply put, I see two very similar players in terms of style, and I do think you're going to end up seeing an absolute war breakout where either guy could break at any point. Holding serve will be a problem, but Varias and Emer both really love to keep the ball in play. They're both undersized. I see a massive battle from the baseline, and I think you're going to end up seeing a really, really long match that maybe could push three hours. It wouldn't totally shock me, but based on the overall style of play, both players being in pretty good form and both players being solid on clay. I know Emer had a good run there in Wimbledon, uh, beating Mulcan and beating Fritz and then losing in five to Galan, but you're looking at how these players performed on clay this season. Emer did have a tune-up event there in Austria, and he looked fine, beat Del Bonus, then lost to the other Emer, 7-6-6-2. But I think you're going to end up seeing... Both players, I should say Emer, struggle early on, readjusting to the clay. But both guys are not great servers, and I do think that will result in what should be a very, very close battle. Give me the over two and a half sets at plus 130. So once again, my lock and dog for the show, the lock's going to be Zverev and Mokan 
under 20 and a half games at minus 128. And the dog will be Emer and uh, Varius over two and a half sets at plus 130. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Tennis Gambling Podcast. I'll be back once again for probably the semis of these three tournaments. Until next time, though, find me on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. Find me on the NBA show, the WNBA show, the NFL show, the MLB show. You get the point. Until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.